era in independent art celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is there, Poindexter. It is four counts of indecent exposure. Today is Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. I am your host, Jason Velasquez, and I welcome you to another episode of Indecent Exposure here at the Greylock Glass. Today we have Ilan Backrack, the artistic director of the Mass Live Arts Festival, which is going on now over at Bard College at Simons Rock in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And before I get into too much explanation about that, I should advise listeners that there is some indecent language on this show, maybe some profanity, maybe some potty mouth. And if you are of the set of sensibilities that feels that that is not appropriate, for a, a cultural show such as this is, or the high standards that we have, um, you may want to skip this episode. And certainly, if you've got little ones listening, you may want to put on some some headphones or put in some earbuds. Not on, on the little kids, on, on yourself, um, because because you know you know we say the f bomb a couple of times, so that's that's what that is. So let me just say that um, we spoke for quite a quite a while. Ilan and I, and I am just going to get into that interview because it's it's a good it's a goodly hour long, and um, and I'm not sure that you're going to want to listen to me jabber. Uh, I think what you want to do is you want to listen to Ilan describe what he's got he's got going on over there. Uh, but let's go now straight to the interview with Ilan Backrack, artistic director of Mass Live Arts. <laughs> I am doing something unusual for Indecent Exposure. I have actually left my cave, my studio cave, and I am on location at the site of Mass Live Arts 2015, uh, Bard College at Simons Rock, here with Ilan Backrack, who is the artistic director and a hell of a guy. Hey, thanks for having me here. Hey, thanks for coming here. Good to be here. Thanks for coming out of your cave. I come out of my cave once in a while. I do. And I came out of my cave um, on Saturday. To see you are nowhere. That's right. Which had a very limited run, which is too bad because that that absolutely kicked ass. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this Mass Live Arts season, and then tell us a little bit about how it got started? Okay. Well, for for people who don't know, Mass Live Arts is a festival of contemporary and experimental performance uh, here in Great Barrington, and we're holding it at Bard College at Simon's Rock there. They're wonderful hosts of us, uh, of ours. And, uh, yeah, what's the question? <laughs> well, tell us a bit. Well, we started, what did we start with this year? This year we start, we actually started with, um, well, let me also say that we are the only festival in, in Great Barrington, in Massachusetts, and in all of New England that is dedicated to commissioning and presenting large scale works of contemporary and experimental performance. So, it it started off with the festival this year started off with our two gallery shows and our Worcester Group film series on Monday on last Monday the sixth. Um, we're kind of contemporary and experimental performance is not wholly new to the Berkshires, but it's mostly new. Um, Jacob Pillow does some of it. Big Dance Theater was over there this past weekend, and that's kind of of all the people they bring the company who are most in our milieu. Uh, but yeah, again, what's the question? <laughs> well, I think, I think we've got, uh, we've got to go back. We've got to go back before we can even talk about this season. Let's talk about how this got started. This got started. Um, in 2012, I was on tour with nature theater of Oklahoma, who is a company that I've, been making work with for the past six years and we were touring an opera called life and times it was a 10 part 24 hour long opera the audience showed up at 2 p.m and left at 2 p.m and we pretty much don't stop performing we don't stop performing from the time they come to the time they leave and it's not a 
It's not an Einstein on the beach kind of performance where one is encouraged to come and go as they please. And you'll, what you see is how you put it together. It's a very rigorous show, both for the performers and for the audience. And a lot of is expected of everyone. So I was doing that and I came back from tour. We were on tour probably nine months out of the year, um, in Europe and Asia and Australia. And we were back for two weeks. I, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. I got home. And the first thing I saw when I stepped in the door was a letter under my, that was slipped under my door. And it was from my landlord saying, Hey man, it didn't say, Hey man, <laughs> <laughs> it, but it was telling me that, um, my rent stabilization was up. I was in the building was no longer eligible for it because of something that he made up. Um, and that at the end of my lease, which was, um, at the end of August, which I would be away for. I was, I was back for two weeks and I was going to be gone from then until almost uh, Thanksgiving. And so while I was away, my lease was set to expire. I was planning on renewing it, but he wanted three times as much rent for it. And it was, my apartment was, is that my old apartment is in a very popular area of Brooklyn on North 7th Street and Havemeyer, which is like two blocks from the Bedford L and two blocks from the next L. And it's just like a very hip area or was, or I don't know, whatever, but it's very expensive now. Um, and so instead of paying, you know, $4,500 a month, I put all my things in a truck and my folks had moved here 10 years ago. And I moved it into my folks' house because I had two weeks to solve it. And my options were um, renew the lease for $4,500 a month, which was actually not an option. Uh, find a new place in New York, move into it, have it be empty for three months. Um, not a great option. And not really possible in two weeks in the middle of summer um, to find a place that is like that I will come back and be happy to live there. And, and pay rent for three months that you're not going to be there. Right. And then yeah. the other option is to rent a place immediately, sublet it and deal with all that all in two weeks, um, which is also not super possible or appealing. I don't recommend it. Um, so I moved all my stuff here and I went, I moved all my stuff here. I went back on tour, came back in November um, to live in the Berkshires. And here I am in the Berkshires. I was back for you know, the last week of November, December, first week of January, and then we're off again on tour. And so while I was here, um, we had just premiered the third and fourth episodes of that opera, of that show, Life and Times. And at that point, there were no microphones in it. The first six hours of that show is everyone has a mic and there's a lot of singing. And we played in 600 to to two thousand seat houses so that was a thing that we used microphones um but for um sadistic reasons our directors decided that it would be an interesting experiment for us not to use microphones for the third and fourth episodes um and us being the the cutting edge experimental go-getters that we were you know everyone of course embraced it um and everyone had a good amount of training and it was just a matter of practicing not using microphones but doing that in my living room in in great barrington was not really cutting it it was like the same acoustics as this room and i was not having to push in the same way that one needs to push to fill up a theater um so i got in my car and i out of just strictly out of pure laziness drove to the closest theater to my house which is this theater that we're in right now and I walked in through the back door and I looked around and couldn't find anyone. And then I just went on stage and started rehearsing because it was open. And eventually, after a couple of days, somebody came in and they're like, hey, uh, you know, who are you? <laughs> What's up? Why are you screaming in our theater? Yeah, yeah. what are you doing? Why are you, why are you standing on our stage talking like Jan Kennedy in the dark? Cause, cause I also didn't like know where the lights were. So I was just like, kind of, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, I was imposing, but I didn't want to impose too much. I didn't want to be touching their stuff. Um, and I introduced myself and the person, 
who I was introducing myself to was Sandy Cleary, who runs this art center. And as it turned out, she was super familiar with the work that I was doing um, and the people who I'd been working with and who I have worked with because she herself is part of this lineage of um, excellent American uh, contemporary performance companies. And in the early 90s, she herself was the stage manager, production manager for uh, Reza Abdo's Dara Luce company. So she knew she knew exactly who who I was and the kind of work that I was doing and we became friends really fast and she and I you know and I having just moved here didn't know one person not one single person not anyone not one person <laughs> <laughs> well you knew your mom and dad right who at you that, think you did anyway yeah right but at that you know it is their um it's their summer place so they're here for they're here for six months a year. Mm. I guess it's not summer. It's their half-year place. Mm. They're here for six months a year, and they're in Boston for the other because they really like snow. Um, so I was by myself, and Sandy and I became quick friends. And one thing led to another, and you know, we're talking about our lives and what do you want to do. And I've been coming to the Berkshires for, for at that point, five years. And because I'm just a complete addict for theater, I will just see everything. And whenever I'm here, whenever I was here before I was doing this festival and whenever I'm not doing this festival, I'll just see, I will see anything. If there's people on a stage talking or doing anything, if it's at Monument Mountain High School and they're doing a musical or if, wherever it is, like I want to, I just want to be there. I want to see that. And most of what I was seeing was stuff that I wasn't, like super into it. And I kept going because that's what was on and I have a theater problem and, but I wasn't particularly inspired by it. And, and having worked for what I consider one of the greatest uh, American experimental theater companies of this time and having, and knowing all these other great artists and having worked with so many great artists, I thought, Oh, maybe, you know, what if I brought up, my friends and we did a festival and and filled this hole that I perceived to be here because we have you know in the spectrum of theater history we have you know Shakespeare and company doing stuff from at least 500 years ago to Berkshire Theater Group which is you know I think this summer doing like Shrek or something and that's all you know there's a place for that in the spectrum but um, that's not the stuff that I'm interested in making or showing people. Disclaimer, I love musicals, love them, love their production of Oklahoma, but still, I'm, that's, not, that's not what I want to make. Um, and that's not what I want people to see, and that's not where I feel like I can make a difference in the world. And where I do feel like I can make a difference in the world is showing this amazing transformative work. And so Sandy and I talked about it, and I told her how I wanted to do it and had a kind of had a plan and talked to her about it. And she went to the school and the school was incredibly, incredibly supportive, probably only because Sandy was just besides her beside herself with joy about the fact that these amazing artists would be coming up. The first year was half straddle with a show that ended up winning an Obie, um, a collaboration between half straddle and New York City players which was amazing and which has gone on to tour the world many times over, as has the first show from that, the first half straddle show from that season. And the third show from the first season was a radio hole show, Inflatable Frankenstein, which was just this immense, immense, like there were two trucks of sound gear and lights that came up to make that show in this theater. And it was just like this sonic orgasm that happened and, Sandy needed that here. She knew that it was needed here. That show was so almost outsized in production. It was a huge show, and it was in this tiny little space, this intimate little space. Yeah, it felt like uh, it felt like it was it was just you were you were inside the show. I love that, and I want to talk a little bit about that when we when we get back to uh, sure to this. But um, so. That was the that was two thousand twelve thirteen thirteen two thousand thirteen, and 
Um, once that first season kicked off underway, did you know that this was actually, in fact, going to be a thing? I thought it was going to be a thing. Um, no. Well, no. Actually, it was horrifying. It was completely mortifying. What I do, you shouldn't do. Don't do it. Please do it. Uh, but it's mortifying. Um, it's mortifying. We had, uh, we sold out all of Andrew's shows this week. That was amazing. Um, we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen probably two weeks before the show happened. Uh, the first year we had, the first year went at the same time, two weeks before the show, even one week, one day before opening night, we had three tickets sold for the summer. Three, um, for more than three shows. So there were shows with zero tickets sold, um, and it was horrifying. It worked out. We sold out more shows in our first summer than we didn't. It was entirely, probably. I mean, it was in large part must have been due to word of mouth because, um, just because of some of the information we got back from our advertisers, and since then, yeah. So. We did a lot of print ads the first year. I'm not sure how effective that was. But yeah, we sold out the first year and after that, or most of the first year, and after that, I was like, wow, this can really be a thing. Awesome. And I was right. <laughs> good, I, it's good to be right. I think I'm right. Um, I'm, and uh, I wasn't totally right. I'm almost right. It's still a huge struggle. Um, but we're getting there, you know. And every person I talk to, every sponsor I talk to, every board member that I try to recruit, every donor that I'm talking to... Um, they think I'm totally mental. There's no way to talk about the kind of shows that happen here to someone who hasn't seen those shows and not seem like a psychopath. Um, but then they come and see the work and have their minds blown, have their minds completely expanded. Because in this country, um, at least my experience here is that we are, we've been made to go see this one kind of theater since first grade, and it has become a chore. Um, we've, I had to sit through Glass Menagerie 15 times, and I loved Glass Menagerie, and the only reason I loved it was because it was a coping mechanism, because I had to. I knew I had to see it like every time, every year. It's Glass Menagerie. Here we go. It's time to see it. Blow your candles out, Laura. Um no, you know what? I think I like it. Everyone's telling me to like it. I like it. Um, and I do like it. I appreciate it now. But again, like a, a play where people are pretending to do things in a place that we're supposed to believe is that place um, with a sink that we're supposed to believe is a sink and in a living room that we're supposed to believe is a living room and people that we're supposed to believe are other people that have other people's problems is not... Is not what I'm interested in anymore. Let's well, then let's talk about experimental theater. We've uh, we've we've touched on what it. Well, actually, we really haven't touched on what it is for you. What is it? Oh, it's so many things. It's not just one thing because it's an experiment. So we know what we know what Shakespeare is because Shakespeare is done. There's Shakespeare. We have all of his plays and the histories and the romances and the light plays and the comedies. And that's what that is. What experimental theater is, um, are people at the forefront of theater who are artists or companies, um, asking questions about what can performance be? What can be done in performance? Asking questions like, why are we doing performance? What is the role of an audience? And these shows are not specifically about answering those questions but those questions are inherent to the work that you're seeing. For example, Faye's show last summer, um, the audience orientation was completely shifting. Uh, it shifted four times throughout the show. It started in the round, and then everyone was asked to get up and help move the benches, um, and then they were asked to help hold up part of the set, and really it was... It was audience participatory, but not in like a magic show kind of way or not in an embarrassing kind of way. Just like, you know, addressing it almost in a real way. And that show was about so many other things. But just the fact that the audience had to do all these things to literally make the show happen is kind of what I'm talking about in how these artists are questioning what the role of an audience is. Because we know there's no theater without an audience. 
It's, it's the, one of my teachers, like on the first day of school at Skidmore, he said, what is theater without an audience? And people were like, no one knew. And there was silence. And he said, it's masturbation. Um, and that's probably true. Um, but you can't, but the point is you can't have theater without an audience. And a lot of, there's a lot of questions that are being asked. Oh, fuck. You have to edit that out. <laughs> you can't put that in there. Um, we can't talk about that. Um, we can't talk about that. No, we can't talk about that. No. Yeah. No, you can't talk about that. No, I can't. No. People can't know that. I forgot. Yeah, um, it's all right. But, but you yeah. know what I'm going to I'm going to leave in the fact that we just left something out. That's all right. Because you know, what is podcasting without an audience? No and, doubt. And I can fuck with them, too. That's fine with me. All right. We'll fuck with them. So what you just didn't hear is one of the cool things about that show. So if it comes around again, you get a chance to see You Are Nowhere, you'll know that there's something cool coming, but you won't know what. Yes, that's true. I said something about the show that I wasn't supposed to say, and... Uh, I'm glad I saw it, because if you had just blown it for me, I would have ended this interview. I would have been, you know, fuck you. I would have, yeah. I would have ended it for me, too. Yeah. So the, the idea of audience, the idea of the structure, I mean, it's almost like you're looking at a, a blueprint for a house, right? Totally. And... You know, there's a bathroom, there's a kitchen, there's a there's a dining room, there's a there's a, an entryway, and it's almost like you're 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 asking the audience to re-examine why do you need this here? It doesn't have to be here. Maybe we don't need it at all. That's right. In the hallway here, uh, because this is a school um, and this is a, a teaching institution, and we're in a theater at a teaching institution, there is something on the bulletin board, and it's a hierarchy. It's like a family tree of the hierarchy in a theater. And at the top of it is the director and under the director is the playwright and branching out from there is the designers and branching out from there is the, like the staff and the running crew and blah, blah, and then down to the actors. And it's very hierarchical. And that is a great example of what these artists and these shows are not. Hmm. Um, it is not based on a, a script. It is not beholden to a script in that way. It's not beholden to telling this one story. If anything, it's saying it's these artists doing exactly what you just said. It's like, here's one blueprint that tells one story. For example, this week's show with uh, Joe Solosky's show about Sacco and Vanzetti. One, one of the blueprints he has is Sacco and Vanzetti. Um, and he's sort of, he's telling that story, but another blueprint he has is his own life story. And another br blueprint he has is uh, Victor Morales's life story. Who's, um, a Venezuelan immigrant and the parallels between Victor and Sacco and Vanzetti as immigrants. And another layer is Catherine's musical score. And they don't all always necessarily have one thing to do with another. They don't all always push the narrative forward. There is actually in this week's show, some kind of narrative, which is not super usual for most of our shows, but still what he's doing is picking and choosing from probably five different blueprints and saying, oh, let's take this bathroom and let's take this kitchen and let's take this bedroom. Yeah. And maybe the second floor isn't actually on the second floor. Maybe the second floor is in the attic and the attic's in the basement and so on. Yeah, yeah. Now, we don't have a really strong tradition of experimental art in this country. We don't. Um, we have well, some. We have some. And a lot of it isn't in the theater. A lot of radical art that has happened in America is uh, in museums mm -hmm. now. Is you know our Brillo boxes or Campbell soup cans or Basquiat notebooks or um, or exists on reel to reel as documentations of performances. Uh, but in theater specifically, um, no, we don't have a tradition as old as say France or some European countries, but we do have a tradition that is maybe, you know, 40, 50 years old, solid going on this one particular trajectory, um, which was started by, I, I think around the time of the Worcester group who we have here this summer. And that's kind of what our, our film series is. You know, we know, I know that not everyone knows who Andrew Schneider is. I know not everyone in the Berkshires knows who Joe Solosky or Radio Hole or Fade Riskell is. But when they come, they have their minds blown and they need to know, you know, sometimes when people hear experimental theater, they think about a caricature of experimental theater, um, which, you know, 
Think of the times when you've heard experimental theater mentioned. It's probably on a sketch on Saturday Night Live or in a cartoon where someone's sister is doing experimental theater. And so that's what you, you don't really know what it is. You just know that people joke about it in a weird way. They joke about it. It's, it's in derogatory terms. To- totally. And, and that's fine. Like it's, it's, it's okay to like make interpretive dance. Inter- yeah, totally. Like, ooh, ah, like yeah. touchy feely. And that's fine, and it's, but it's also not what is happening here. No. Um, no, I didn't, it, I didn't feel like there was a lot of touchy-feely going on. No. Uh, not, no. no. No, quite no. the opposite. Um, but, but what it's... So what the film series is about is putting the work of our, our performing artists, our main stage artists, in context. So Andrew, Joe, Radio Hole all directly and indirectly draw on work that was pioneered by the Worcester Group or all continuing kind of a tradition of exploration that has been going on at the Worcester Group for the last 40 years. And so, in a way, the festival is not only about here's a cool show that you got to see and trust me, it's awesome and it's experimental and it's happening right now, but it's also been happening for the better part of a half a century. Um, almost half a century. And I think that's important. It's not, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's not, I mean, some of it is, but it's, these people are following a tradition of exploration and of excellence that has been going on. And so the film series is an attempt to bring the audience into the history uh, and contextualize how important these artists really are. They're not just cool people that I found. They're not just, I didn't just go see a show and I was like, you, I must have you. Um, Andrew was the video designer for the Worcester group for a long, long time. There's a genealogy here. That's exactly it. There is a genealogy. Victor Morales from Joe's show, Worcester group guy, Eric Dyer from radio hole, Worcester group guy. Um, They're not doing Worcester work, but there is a work ethic that comes out of that company. There is it, and work ethic is like a really nice way to put it. But there is like a sadistic or masochistic because they're doing it to themselves. Just like we have to get this right. No one's putting a gun to their heads to do art. You know, they don't have to do it. They're putting the guns to their own heads, saying this has to be perfect. Andrew Schneider, you saw him on Saturday. He got here on Sunday. He was in the theater. Every single day after that show opened, starting at nine o'clock in the morning until the show opened at eight, getting things right. This one light thing happened a fraction of a second too early. This thing dropping down happened weird. Let's fix that. No, it's still not right. Every day for eight to 10 hours. And that's, that's how these people roll because the medium they're working in is time. And if you go and see their show and something doesn't happen right, then that's probably the worst thing that can happen. You know, time, which I think isn't giving too much away to say that uh, you are nowhere is, is all about time. Time and quantum, quantum theory. Quantum theory. And I like to say it like the show is kind of if, is it, is if your, your phone in your pocket was recording all, all of your trains of thought. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah. Oh, my phone just buzzed. Oh my God, who could that be? Is that my girlfriend? Is that my mom? Is that a creditor? Who is that? What is it? All while I'm talking to you or something like that. Yeah. I think, um, I think that it's, it's a unique place that Mass Live Arts occupies because while you are exam- re-examining what is theater... You know what is what is the existence of theater? What is that? Um, the two two shows that I've seen so far, I haven't seen enough of them, truth be told. But I did see the Inflatable Frankenstein, and I did see You Are Nowhere, and I noticed that both of those shows ask a really old theatrical question, which is to be or or not to be. Totally. So, is there? Is there a reason that experimental theater taps into that that big question? What is existence? I feel like all good theater taps into that question. And I feel like when you get into, I don't know, 
when you get into doing a play from 50 years ago, maybe that's just to me less likely to do that. Or that's less, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, doing streetcar and a set that looks like Louisiana and I'm from like how, you know, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and I'm supposed to, supposed to feel this angst. And, you know, I don't because I know it's all fake. And so all these, I think a lot of what these people, these artists are doing is just getting us into a zone of truth, which is something theater always tries to do. True. They're just looking for truth and truth always comes back to humanity and life. And what are we doing here? And why are we, why are big, big H, why are we here? And little H, like, why are we here in a theater? And like, what is this for humans to all congregate? What do we get out of this? Why do, why have we done this for thousands of years? Um, and it's just finding. And so these guys are just finding different ways to ask that in a way that taps into something more current. I feel have Berkshire audiences been surprised. I mean, you've, I, I, you know, on Saturday night, I saw quite a varied uh, assemblage of, of people. I mean, you know, there was no one demographic. I was, which was great to see. Totally. I mean, there were there were you know eighteen year olds, there were seventy five year olds in that audience. I'm just wondering how has it been received? These these big questions, incredibly well. I mean, incre- They're not. On one hand, those questions are being asked. On another hand, they're inherent to the work and kind of just, if you're getting blown away, that's part of it. Mm. It's not, it's not, if you don't want to think about it, you don't have to. You can just see like a cool, tripped out, psychedelic experience. If you're really into theater and really into philosophy or really into criticism, um, that's all there too. And I think that's why we have such a diverse audience. Because all the people from Shakespeare and Company came out, um, just had their minds blown. They just had their minds blown. I don't think, you know, but everyone's having their minds blown. And especially at Andrew's show, and especially at Joe's show, and definitely a Radio Hole show. Every artist this summer has invented a new form of technology that no one has ever seen in theater. Andrew invented three new kinds of lights. Joe invented, uh, Joe and Victor invented a new kind of show control for their show. Radio Hole are a bunch of psychopaths. You're going to see things and experience things that just have never been in a theater, have never been in front of you. And it's being done with such um, care, not in the moment, but there's so much thought put into what, what it is and what is being seen that it's impossible not to feel something. Hmm. Well, what are people going to see going forward? You've got... Uh... How many, how many shows do you have left? We have two more weeks of shows. We have two more weeks of films. We have two more weeks of galleries. And two more weeks of karaoke on Friday nights. Well, give us a run on. Start with the, start with the shows. The shows. This week we have Joe Solovsky's Send for the Million Men, which is a show, uh, in, for the most part, about Sacco and Vanzetti, who were two Italian immigrants who immigrated to Braintree, Massachusetts, and were wrongly tried, convicted, and killed. Uh, executed by the state for a crime they didn't commit um i saw that in the midst of all this uh, all the police killings of this fall and it just was incredibly incredibly profound to me that um while the show is not about what's what's happening right now it's completely about what's happening right now without without even mentioning it mm. um and it's such an important show to see because it's just you know, it's telling the story about Sacco and Vanzetti, which is an amazing story. But it's also kind of shocking how little has changed. Or the things that have changed, how institutionalized they've become. So that's an important show. And it's beautiful. And like I said, you know, Joe has invented so many weird machines for the show. Whereas Andrew's show was kind of this high-tech ultra high tech like next level he's in the theater taking apart lights and reprogramming them with his own programming joe is more like taking apart a digital thing and an analog thing and making like smashing them together and making a machine for one moment to tell this one piece of a story he makes a point opens up a thing it's done you never see that again um so that's it and there's like 
he has like 300 little moments like that mm-hmm. that the stage is full of suitcases each suitcase has this like video machine or marionette machine or video marionette machine or just some weird thing that helps move the thing along mm-hmm. which is really cool um after that we have radio hole which i am so excited about um first because they were here our first year uh Second, because they're they're good friends of mine, and I love their work. Um, full disclosure, I was in a Radio Hole show since they were last here, which got nominated for a Bessie, I think because I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win it, uh, but neither did Twilight Tharp, and that's what matters. That's, that's exactly what matters. And, and, you know, if you're not going to blow your own horn, who's going to? Yeah. You know? Um but the Radio Hole show is particularly exciting because it's a world premiere. And every year since the beginning, Mass Live Arts has commissioned works. In the first year, it was House of Dance. That went on to win an Obie. That went on to tour around the world. In the second year, it was Thank You for Coming from Faye Driscoll. We're commissioners on the whole trilogy. And that's exciting. That show is going to be a landmark of dance from this period of time. And it's amazing to be a commissioner of that. Um, this year we're a commissioner of Andrew show, which you saw, and we're commissioner of the radio hole show. And not only are we a commissioner of it, but it's a world premiere. So it's the first time it's happening anywhere in the world. And beyond that, um, it might not happen anywhere else. And so it's a really special thing. I think it's a really, it's a really great gift to the Berkshires from radio hole, from mass live arts. Here's something that, you know, radio hole is a company that for the better part of the last two decades has just been making really insane, phenomenal work. And lately, in the, for this show at least, they've been having trouble finding a place to do it. Theaters in New York are scared to program Radio Hole. And I think it's really great that... I mean, I don't think it's great for them that that's happening, but I, I'm happy to give them a place to do their show. Well... And and I want to pause in this lineup because I think one of the one of the we talk about realities. Uh, one of the realities that has not changed in theater is that it does it takes resources. Sure, it takes massive resources. Anybody who comes to any of these shows is going to see this took tons of creativity, tons of time, tons of dedication, but it also takes funds. Sure. So I know that you've got some sponsors here. Um, who are who are some of the people behind this that help make this happen? Uh, well, first and foremost, we have a founding board of directors who you'll see in every program who are a group of people who are champions of mass live arts. And they're people from the Berkshires, they're people from Boston, they're people from New York who just care about this work and care about the Berkshires and want it to be here. Um, beyond them, we have our corporate sponsors who really are very hands-on. And I couldn't be more grateful for them. Um, we have the meat market who they don't donate. They're not sponsors in the way that sponsors normally work. They don't write us a check. They give us a cow. Um, we do barbecues after every show instead of talkbacks. Talkbacks make me want to cry. I can't do it. As an artist, I can't be on stage for a talkback after I've just done a show. As an audience member, I hate feeling guilted into sticking around to have this fake conversation with people. Um, but at the same time, I want people to know more if they want to know more. And so instead of the talkbacks, we have a barbecue after every show where the artists and the audience can kind of just hang out, have a beer, have a burger. The meat market gives us that burger. They give us a cow. It's awesome. Mm. Um, this year they also threw in some sausage. It was pretty great. Uh, we also have the prairie whale. They help us out. Um, we have Ed Domaney from Domaney's Liquors. That guy is an angel. He's literally a saint. Um, and those are the main ones. We also have Performance Space 122, which is a big, big theater in New York, who at this point in time are rebuilding their theater. So everything they own is in storage. So some of that stuff is here. Hmm. Um, and it is really, I would say that is just such a huge deal. Vallejo and Vinny from that place just you know we we rent from them um, we rent stuff from them for less than any person in their right mind would rent it for and then when we show up with the truck they just throw 
a bunch of other stuff onto the truck and it just wouldn't be possible without them. Um, yeah. And so those are the main sponsors and the rest of them are on the website, Shakespeare and company, Mahawi, all these other local theaters that, well, not all of them actually, but there, 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 there are a handful of theaters that are not threatened by this and that realize that the rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. No, it seems to me, I mean, when I was at Shakespeare and company, seems like there was the um, the fringe they did their fringe festival and it was um usually 11 o'clock at night or so after everything else was done mm-hmm. and um it was pretty much company members who were, had written you know plays um and it went on most of the i guess on the, the late summer maybe early fall um but it was there was some exciting stuff going on i mean some of these these pieces were were not your standard shake and co fair um, and they weren't, you know, I don't even know if they're charged for them. I think it was just, you, if you knew about them, you went and you, you saw them performed. Wow. Um, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was just this late night, 11, 1130. And, um, I gotta go to that. Yeah. I don't know if they're still doing it. We'll have to find out about that. I got it. We do that. Yeah. We do that in the form of karaoke. Tell me about karaoke. Well, well, we Actually, no, a, let's, let's go back to the go back to the lineup? Let's go, to the, <laughs> go back to the lineup here. But yeah, I just, I just wanted to, because a lot of times sponsors, you know, they ask the question, um, what is important to support? This year, why should I support this? And I think that, um, I think the audience members should realize that it's not just a name in the back of the program that's there for fun. They're, 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 it wouldn't happen without them. So it wouldn't. And and actually, it's a huge deal. And that's why it doesn't only go in the program. They have a placard in the lobby. Um, depending on what they've given us, they have a placard where that is on the fridge. It said, you know, we have like a sign that said, "Hey, hey, you! All the beer in this fridge is from Domainies." Yeah. You know, same for the burgers. Same for everything that's kind of pertinent to stuff that's in the building. Yeah. Last year, it was JWS Art Supplies on Railroad Street. They gave us a bunch of stuff to do the the gallery hang, and so we did a placard for them. I also, so if you donate enough, can you get like an actor to come mow your lawn, anything yeah, like that? Yeah, we could probably but set that up. But an audience will also be there too. Oh, nice! Yeah, it'll be it'll have to be a performance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the lineup. Uh, we talked about uh, Joe's. Um, we talked about Radio Hall. Yeah. Uh, so t- we didn't we didn't talk about the Radio Radio Hall show. What, what? Sure. Well, what I can tell you about the Radio Hall show is pretty much nothing. Uh, it's right. a it's a world premiere. It's never happened yet. Um, I completely trust them to do something amazing and bizarre. Uh, it is written by uh, Jason Grote, who is not a member of Radio Hall, but who is someone they've been meaning to collaborate with for a long time, and he's uh, since. You know, he was in the New York world when I was in New York, but since then he's moved out to L.A. and he now writes for TV and he wrote on Mad Men and stuff like that. And so they took Jason's script and probably shit all over it. And, <laughs> you know, going back to the blueprints that, yeah. you know, yeah. they're, you know, if, re- if you write a script for Radio Hole, like, good luck with that. You know, they're they're that's going to be one component of it. Yeah, and yeah. so Jason's component is one component of it, and the rest they're also drawing on these two Norwegian artists, Vegard Vinga and Ida Mueller, who literally shit all over the stage. They won't be doing that here. I hope. I promise. I promise, listener, that there will be no shitting on stage yet. But Not it, yet. Not yet. Um, but yeah, so they're just. I, so I don't know. I don't know. All I know Good is that, that Radio Hole are really just a bunch of insanely committed people um, and that they're going to do something. All right. So, and for the first time ever, it will happen here. People come by, see something happen for the very first time, maybe the only time here, Radio Hole Mass Live Arts 2015, your chance uh, to be one of the very select few. That's right. To see this. What else we got? We have the films. We have the gallery. Daniel Fish is in the gallery. Uh, he it's it's a video installation, but it's a performance. It's a document of a performance done by two people who were doing the final scene of Eternal Sunshine for the, of the Spotless Mind over and over and over for two hours straight, uncut, and they just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it as best they can. And the performance and the documentation of the performance is about the kind of transformation, degradation that happens when you just earnestly do something 
over and over as best you can. Um, these are two phenomenal actors in it. One of them was in the movie, the original film. Um, and it's just really amazing to see what happens. It's a two hour installation. You can come and go. That's part of it. And if you, if you watch the first hour and then go take a walk and come back for the last half hour, or if you watch all of it, it's really evident that, you know, it's about the time that passes. What happens when you do the same thing over two hours of time, things fall apart, things get weird. And it's a really cool thing. Hmm. Um, we have NTUSA in the gallery, um, doing uh, a revamp of this old actor's handbook, which uh, it was a handbook from the 17th century. No, the six, the, the handbook from the 18th century about acting. And it says, this is how you act happy. And it was a picture of someone happy and a description of what it is to be happy. And just like all these emotions and then a picture of that emotion and a description. And so what NTUSA, the National Theater of the United States of America, has done is kind of done their spin on it. And they picked the emotions that they liked and they picked a, a bunch of great people from downtown and experimental theater and they used them and they're making a book of it. And what we have up in the gallery is the are the original prints of that book. <laughs> that sounds fun. You know, it, it reminds me too... Um... I used to I studied speech and rhetoric yeah. has a very similar handbook of the gestures there are you know whatever 23 accepted gestures right. that you can use in rhetoric to you know to emphasize points you can raise your hand up you can put your hands to your side you can yeah and and uh, it's it's a very similar very very systematized uh no performance really rhetoric giving a speech is it is a performance totally of sorts Huh. And so that show, while not a live performance, is examining how we have looked at live performance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And kind of looking at, you know, and NTUSA, all of the companies here are companies that think theater is a little bit stale. And that's why they're doing what they do. They're trying to wake it up in, in their own individual ways. And so what I think that show is about is pointing at the fact that you can't, you know, how ridiculous it is to have a handbook that says, this is, this is despondent. This is how you're, you have to sit on a stool and put your head in your hands. And if you don't do that, you know, so, um, so it's a really, it's a fun show to see and like, and all of our gallery shows are free. <laughs> we have, uh, the other things that are free this summer are our residency work in progress showings. We have actual free performances for anyone who wants to come. Mm. So last summer, Faye Driscoll did the first part of her Thank You for Coming trilogy as part of the season, uh, which I mentioned we're commissioners of, but it's a trilogy. And so part of our commitment to commissioning that trilogy is to provide workshop space for it. So this summer, Faye's here. She's been here for 10 days with her company working on the second part of the trilogy. It's called Play. Thank you for coming, Play. And on Tuesday... She will be doing uh, the work in progress showing of it this Tuesday. Uh, and that's free. And again, like the films, the same way the films are trying to contextualize the history of this work, the residencies too are just trying to bring the audience into the actual making of it. They know they're not going to see something finished. They're, they're, they're not going to see something teched. But the, what they are going to see is some really amazing performers trying very hard to do something. They've been, they've been working towards something. They've been working on stuff and they're just going to show what they've been working on. Which I think is kind of exciting because a lot of people never get to see that halfway point or that three quarter way point. And, um, totally. Except unless you live in New York. And if you're living in New York, that's very much a part of the theater community. Right. But if you're not, you don't get to yeah. see it. Yeah. And, and it's, so, and I think it's really cool because. When that show comes back here next summer in its full version, the people who will have atten who have attended the residency work in progress showing will I think they'll just have a much richer experience. Even if none of that gets used, they'll some ideas of what they've been working on will get seeded into their brains and it'll just it'll be cooler. You Des get the liner notes. Describe yeah. Describe describe Faye's work and, and her background. Briefly, you know, uh, Faye's a choreographer, and Faye, just like, just like, you know, 
So she she calls herself a choreographer. She is a choreographer. Um, some of our, our our other performers or our other companies call themselves theater companies, um, but they're all doing the same thing. I don't you know I don't want to make a distinction between one or the other. Faye's making a show that is questioning everything about audience. She's making a show that's insanely rigorous for the performers, and what the result of that rigor is is creating a truth. She's overloading her performance to the point where they can't fake anything. And that's, in the end, what's interesting to me. And that's what happened in Andrew's show. That's what happens in Joe's show. That's what will happen in Radio Hole's show. They have their own ways of giving themselves too much information at the same time. Um, and the result of that is not being able to pretend. And so for Faye, she's doing that in a in more of a dance context. Hmm. Um, and it is just honestly some of the most beautiful like stuff I've ever seen. Not necessarily like ballet beautiful, but just it's just really honest. And these performers, it, she's coming at it from a dance way as opposed to a theater way, which is just yielding some really interesting and captivating results. And I'd be able to tell you more about it after, after Thursday or okay. after Tuesday. Okay. All right. So you were going to tell us uh, about, about karaoke too. Oh my God. Tell me about karaoke. You didn't hear? No. Well, we challenged every single artistic institution in the Berkshires to an all-county karaoke challenge. And we won. We challenged them. We challenged them. We put it out. Put it out there two months ago. I called every single artistic director in the county. I called someone at Shakes and Co. I called Berkshire Theater Festival. I called Mass Mocha. Called Aston Magna. Called Jacob's Pillow. I left a lot of voicemail messages because a lot of people didn't know who I was. But I talked to a few other people, um, and we issued a pretty strong challenge, both on the internet via a couple press outlets and via video, and basically challenged them: our artists versus your artists, throw down, our staff versus your staff, our <sighs> interns versus your interns. Um, people from Shakes and Co were here, but. They just didn't. They didn't stick around for the karaoke challenge. Oh, boy. Yeah, people from the Mahay were here, but they're, they're scared. They're scared. They're scared. They're scared of us. They so, should. so we won, and and we'll be doing another challenge next year. And maybe if they uh, they can muster <laughs> up the courage to face <laughs> to face our artists and to face me, because I sang as well. I would. Would you sing? I sang. Uh, I sang Little Mermaid. I sang Part of Your World. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's, um, <coughs> I, I, I'm very sad that I missed that. Well, we'll be doing karaoke every Friday night. It just won't be the challenge. It just won't be the challenge. Yeah. So we've got karaoke after the show, mm -hmm. uh, after the burgers and the beer. Yeah. Get people all primed, ready to go. We do some karaoke. Do some karaoke. I like that. Just under the, we did it outside. It was, it's, it's awesome. In the same way that the talkbacks are replaced with eating burgers and drinking beers with just everyone, mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. karaoke is just kind of an extension of that. All we want to do, all I want to do is create a community of people that like seeing amazing things, that are inspired by it, and that want to be around it. Whenever I see a show that I love, you know, I immediately want to be part of it. I want to do something with that person. I, I need to. I have it's compulsive. Um, mm -hmm. When I and karaoke is kind of a way of inviting the audience and everyone into come do something with us, perform with us. I feel you know you just touched on on something that I run into almost everywhere I go these days. Mm. I feel like we have entered into a new age, a new era of collaboration. It seems that that is happening in on so many different levels. Especially here in the Berkshires, you can see it. People are realizing that it is not a scarcity economy I mean, or a scarcity a attitude. Right. I mean, which is typically what happens um, when people feel like they have to reach for their piece. They've got to get theirs before somebody else gets to it, gets to that nut, you know. But I find that uh, more and more these days, um, rather than us being squirrels, all chasing after our individual nuts, we're actually looking to find ways that we can work together to build something that's more than the sum of its parts. Totally. And that's been happening a lot. So 
What about um, what about other? Um, you said you had some. You issued the invitation like Mass Mocha and so forth. Yeah. What? Um, there's, there's a video on the internet. You can see it um, where I just throw, I literally throw down the gauntlet. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Now, do you think uh, that there's room for other kinds of collaboration? You know, certainly Mass Mocha has has space. Definitely. I mean, I'd love to see something from MLA show up there one of these days. It'd be awesome. I'd love that. Um, and Mass Mocha does host some great performances. Yeah. Um, I've performed at Mass Mocha uh, with uh, NTUSA back in 2009. Uh, we did Chautauqua there. Oh. Um, and it was amazing. It's an amazing place to go. We did it in April. Um, it's just that during the summer... That's not their focus. No. Um, and during the not and so, hmm, yeah, it's just that it's not their fo- it's not their focus during the summer and it's not their focus in general. It's just part of their thing, um, which is amazing that it is. They had David Newman this year. That was really really cool. Um, and they had they had Half Straddle develop Siegel before it had its New England premiere here later that summer. Um, so yeah, collaboration I think would be awesome. I'd be down to collaborate with Shakespeare and Company. I'd be down to collaborate with, you know, Hancock Shaker Village. <laughs> I really, you know, the more people that I can work with here, the better I think it will be for everyone. Well, for the time being, the only place you're going to get to see uh, Mass Live Arts is at Simon's Rock, the Bard College at Simon's Rock here in Great Barrington. And uh, for just another, just another, what? Two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. Gosh, that's so short. I know. It is so short. Eventually it'll be longer. But Yeah, yeah. But uh, for now, the next two weeks, um, and people can find out more information. If, if they still want more information about uh, Mass Live Arts, they can go to, to massliveartsorg Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash massliveartz or massliveartz on Instagram. And as of later today, we'll be on Snapchat. Really? Well, yeah. Snapchat. It's important. Snapchat's important. I, th- I think it is. And it will be for at least another six or eight months. Yeah. So we should definitely, you know, absorb that. I, I-, I tried the Snapchat. I-, I just, I don't think I'm hip enough. I don't know if I'm hip enough, but uh, we haven't tried it. And I think it's important to, even though it's dumb, or even though it may be dumb, to just see see what's possible with it. In the same way... That we were talking, I think, before we started recording, how the New York Times was doing podcasts sure. way at the beginning. Sure. I don't think Snapchat's going to be the new, you know, podcasting, but I think it's important when there's a new medium to yeah. try it out. I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I, I've got it on my phone. I've done it a couple of times. Um, I think there are certain, there are certain um, applications for it that are perfect. Um, totally. You know, I am kind of into the long form, you know, for sure, for sure. It kind of have to be. Um, but no, I think, uh, I think I'll be watching for that. Uh, are you going to let people know yeah, when you're sure. going to be just Snapchatting? Cause you have to, don't you have to know you have to like be there? Oh, that the be there one is, uh, Periscope. Oh, Periscope. Okay. Um, which we haven't tried, um, mostly because. No one, we're not allowed to broadcast the shows. Right. So that's, that's the obvious way, but we're trying to figure out how to use it. And I, I think mean, I could, I could periscope cause I've got periscope right now. I could have been periscoping this whole interview. Totally. I think we'll be periscoping the karaoke probably. Well, you could do that. Yeah. yeah. Of course think, you could. Yeah. Um, I think anytime there's beer, you could beer and burgers, you can, per, you can periscope. You that. can periscope it. Yeah. Especially people making complete and utter silliness. Uh, you can periscope that. Yeah. All right, so people go uh, to massliveArts.org and um, and then tickets. Tickets are available at massliveArts.org. Okay. It's true. You go there, there's a there's like a little carousel. You do have, on a, radio, the, you do have a radio voice. I told too. you, yeah. Okay, okay. There's a, there's a carousel right there. Carousel is like a, whatever, there's boxes with boxes. each show. And you click on the, the box of the show you want to see, and that's where you get the tickets. So you see the show. You click on the show, you get to go to the show. That's it. In that order. Yeah. You can also call me on the phone. You can call my phone number is 617-877-3407. And if you want to, if you have any questions, you can just call me and I'll talk to you about it. Listen. That's for real. You only get this kind of personalized treatment 
from Indecent Exposure at the Greylock Glass. Elan, I am so appreciative and I'm so grateful that you took this much time. Our audience members are going to love it. And, um, and I hope they do call you. I really do. Yeah, I'll let you know if they do. <laughs> All righty, man. <laughs> All right, Be good. Man. Take care. Thanks. Is he mad? Is he a genius? Is he a mad genius? Probably. That's Ilan Bakrak, Artistic Director of Mass Live Arts, a festival going on right now that has a whole lot more in store for you. I do encourage anyone who can make their way to Great Barrington this week and this weekend to either check out either or and or um, Send for the Million Men by Joseph Solovsky and co. And if you can't make it to that, or if you want to make it to that and something else, Radio Holes Tarzana. As I've mentioned uh, in the interview, I got to see Radio Holes Inflatable Frankenstein a couple years ago. Mind-blowing stuff. Truly. Consciousness expanding. I encourage you to check one or both of them out uh, this week. Now, we don't typically warn you about the tunes that we're going to feature on, on the segment of the show that's come to be known as Controlled, Controlled Exposure. Because, after all, you know, what kind of an experiment would it be if you guinea pigs knew what was in the syringe coming toward you, right? I mean, come on. But uh, in this particular instance, because the artist that we're going to play for you today... Um, was recommended by Ilan Bakrak himself. I thought that we should mention that, that he is an associate and friend of Ilan. Uh, the artist is Bobby McElver, who is currently, and since 2011, a company member of the Worcester Group, which was uh, discussed during that interview. He has been doing a lot of stuff with them and in collaboration with such individuals, such groups as the Royal Shakespeare Company and others. Um, he does a lot of sound work and he does some performance and he has been um, he has been lauded for contributing contributing sound design to the film Every Secret Thing. Uh, which was produced by Francis McDormand and uh, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. So he, um, his feet are f probably uh, probably on both worlds, um, or, or maybe more than two world worlds, maybe three or four worlds. They're not my feet. How would I know, right? Um, but that's 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 the case here. We've got Bobby McElver, who is. Um, performing with a band, Grey Lights. And I should say that when you Google Bobby McElver and Grey Lights, you get a lot of results that have to do with iZombie, a TV show about The Walking Dead. And I'm not sure what that's all about. I can't, I can't find the connection, but uh, that's what happened. So maybe there's something, something we'll, we'll, we'll have to ask when we talk to him. And we will talk to him because he's he's excited to be on the show one of these days soon. So let's hope we have that conversation. But for now, we're going to play a, a song that is not yet on an album that you can you can purchase. We don't do that often, do we? We usually make sure we provide songs that you can you can own. Uh, but you will soon be able to to own this this tune. Uh, and right now, you can listen to it. It is Remember the Gray Light. And it is a piece that is actually somewhat in progress because he's doing a revised version of that. And I'm not going to tell you too, too much about it. But for now, we're going to play you the original uh, Remember the Gray Light right here on Indecent Exposure at the Greylock Glass.
Bobby McElver with Remember the Gray Light. And I can tell you that we're going to have Bobby on this show for an interview as soon as we can. And we're going to hear some more tunes because I really enjoyed uh, hearing that song. I think that the the years that he has spent doing uh, sound design in different settings really comes through uh, in the production of that, that song. You can hear that he's paying attention to, to how it's going to be perceived by the human ear and that's you know that's a, a a talent that not everybody develops frankly i i you know i wouldn't know where to start myself but um but we love having it uh, on this show and we're gonna have more of it for now that is our show i hoped to get this done before midnight tonight and i didn't quite make it ticks me off a little bit is what it does um, because I start sounding sloppy and stupid. More so than, than usual, I guess. But anyway, that's our show. Uh, today was was Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. I have been your host, Jason Velasquez, known in an alternate universe as The Mongrel. It's been a pleasure, and I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>